there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. All right, Dr. Rashi Batar, we, we got a voice that's uh, ringing around the world, as you know, fans all over the place. And I understand recently you were visiting that fine, big old island in the southern hemisphere known as Australia. And, you know, a lot of things we've covered over the years, including our friend Dr. Sherry Tenpenny being denied a tourist visa because she was going to speak on the controversies of vaccines and vaccine safety. And yet you were there. You somehow got into the country. Did you meet with any doctors? Are they having a rough road of it in terms of integrative, alternative, holistic, whatever kind of medicine we want to say, which is decidedly advanced? Yeah, well, you know, I've been there a couple of times now. Um, Adelaide specifically, I was in um, back 2000, I think 11, and I gave uh, I gave a couple of lectures there and actually spoke at Adelaide University. Um, this is an interesting component because what you bring up right now with Dr. Tempany and not being able to get a tourist visa, you know, when I, anywhere I go, I, I'm just going as a tourist and to visit. I don't go as anything else. Now, if I happen to lecture or I give a lecture or whatever, that's a different story. And when I went there to Australia this time, most recently, it was with the, um, with the potential of opening up an office there, starting an office there, because we have so many patients from the Australia uh, region, from the from basically the South Pacific area, we've got patients from Japan and Korea and, and Malaysia, but also Australia's pretty significant population there. So that's one of the reasons we were thinking about doing something on the other, other side of the world. And a number of the doctors have come through my training program. They're not, not the full AMSA program, but the uh, abbreviated courses like the Advanced Medicine course. And when we had the retreat in Cancun, a number of doctors from Australia came to that. And I met with those doctors. I met with some other doctors that I don't know, that I haven't met before. I've met some doctors that have actually apparently had extensive email communication with me, which I don't recall, but they are uh, part of the chelation community. They are the IBCMT instead of the ABCMT. The ABCMT is the American Board of Clinical Mental Toxicology, and the IBCMT is the International Board of Clinical Mental Toxicology. So I met their uh, chairman, Dr. Vandershaw, used to be their chairman, and now there's a new doctor, Dr. Seau. But anyway, I met with a number of doctors there. And what was interesting, Robert, was that the persecution, I guess that would be the probably the most appropriate word to use, is on the uprise as opposed to um, being somewhat, you know, flattened about the same, same effect. Apparently, if you're dealing with anything that's non-conventional, they are very, very aggressively coming after doctors. But apparently, it's not just integrative doctors. It's any kind of doctors there. Their medical system is so um, skewed now that even the senators in Australia are getting involved in this, some supposed sense hearings about how this medical board, and it's not the medical board, their, their professional board for dentists, for um, social workers, for medicine, they're all the same. It's one board, and it's basically thinks it's above the law, and it's become extremely powerful, and it has been wielding its, unpower, its power unscrupulously. So now the government is 
getting involved with an oversight type of picture. And so doctors have told me that this is probably the worst time in Australia as far as wanting to uh, provide any type of medical therapies that may be just even borderline, leave alone being out of the box. Mm. So there's a lot of, uh, let's, I don't know, you know, it's hard to say sometimes when you say we're in America, we're ahead of the curve in some ways, behind it in others, but when it comes to pushing the envelope for freedom, I tend to think we're ahead of the curve, even though we've lost our way in, in many places. So would we say Australia is 5, 10, 20 years behind us in terms of accepting physicians doing more of integrative advanced medicine techniques? I don't think that would be a fair statement because you got to remember, where did they get their lead from? Where did Australia... Where did uh, the U.K., where did all these other countries get their lead from? They got their lead from the U.S. So it all starts from the Flexner Report. It all starts from all right. the stuff that happens in the U.S., the FDA, et cetera, and then they take their guidance. These other countries take their guidance from what the U.S. is setting as a precedent. So when you go into uh, places like, say, Panama or Costa Rica or uh, any of the South American countries, you'll see John Hopkins Medical Center or Mayo Clinic clinics you know, set up. And they're all taking their – anything to do with the U.S. is considered to be at the forefront. So they basically follow the U.S. policy in whatever it is. So if the U.S. policy is to go against integrative doctors today, next week, next month, next year, these other countries will follow suit. So if the U.S. were making that transition, they're going to be following in that transition. So I don't think we can say that they're behind because they're basically following what precedents we are setting in the U.S. And I think it's probably true with everything. Social trends are that way. You know, the, the popularity of music, the popularity of the type of cars people are driving, um, you know, what happens to the U.S. housing market is going to follow with other countries, you know, they may be a year, two years behind. So it's pretty much the same thing in all industries. The U.S. sets the standard, everybody else follows it. U.S. goes up, everybody goes up. U.S. comes down, everybody comes down. Well, but the specific issue, like with Sherry Tenpenny, she was going to lecture on the dangers of vaccinations, and that was almost unheard of, and clearly it got her banned from being able to come in just to go on vacation because she might have a few lectures on the subject. So that seems to still be a third rail of medical politics down under. Yeah, and it, it, it may very well be. Um, I'm, I'm not privy to all the details. I know that there's always other components to it. Um, but, yes, the, you know, certainly people being on a – people that are overly um, clear in their stance sometimes could – end up getting the uh, short end of the stick because they, the government doesn't want those types of thoughts or those types of philosophies to be um, furthered or to be talked about and discussed in open form. So I don't see that as being um, surprising at all. I do think that more and more people in Australia, just like more and more people in the United States and just like more and more people in the U.K., are becoming clearly more adamant about having the right to pursue whatever their thought process is. Mm-hmm. One of the doctors that I met with um, in Adelaide who had, has come to my training program, he's well aware of our philosophy. He's uh, consulted with me on a number of patients. We share a couple of patients. And he told me that in his practice recently, one of the doctors that came under the gun basically was not allowed to practice anymore. So all their patients, all that doctor's patients, went to this particular doctor I'm talking to. And he told me that it's actually happened where those patients actually started with a different doctor than that doctor uh, basically came under the gun, had a heart attack, wanted to postpone his hearing the day after his heart attack, and the medical board said, no, you come and you sit here after having a heart attack. Wow. So, you know, a lot of doctors, you know how they get scared anyway, and then you've got a lot of stress, and now they've got to appear in front of the medical board. So that's how adamant this 
In fact, this is the reason that the Senate apparently is not getting involved with looking at how outrageous this board is because they've been expecting and demanding things that are by any stretch of the imagination considered to be unreasonable. So this doctor had a number of patients. He came under the gun. He had a heart attack. They said, no, you have to be there. So he had to find another doctor for his patients. They went to this other doctor. This other doctor was the one who lost their license. So now all those patients came to this third doctor. And so the doctor was telling me, this particular doctor was telling me, it doesn't matter what happens to the physicians that the, that the board is trying to uh, ostracize. The patients are just going to the next places. They, they're, nobody's looking at what the needs of the patients are. The boards aren't looking at the needs of the patients. Are. And the patients aren't going to conventional doctors. They're finding somebody else to replace the first doctor. So you can take out as many heads. They're going to find another head. That's the, that's the point. Well, yeah, the, 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 the concept of patient-centered care, which is truly responsive to the patient that says, you know what, I demand this, this is what I want, this is the kind of doctor I want. Uh, for too long, of course, uh, governments in collusion with pharmaceutical interests have, have basically colluded against the patients and their ability to make choices, fully informed choices, but choices nonetheless that are, you know, they, they feel are in their best interest, not necessarily in the best interest of the pharmaceutical industrial complex and the government and the regulators that they have purchased. And I think when the money dries up, of course, ultimately it changes. Here's a story. We had a couple of minutes before our first break here, Dr. Bittar. Uh, by the way, if you want to learn more about Dr. Bittar, links are up in the show notes, robertscottbell.com, also D-R-B-U-T-T-A-R, drbittar.com. And if you ever miss an advanced medicine hour, you can go to medicalrewind.com, and there's hundreds and hundreds of hours for a free download you can get, get take part of. But listen to this. Despite a 99% failure rate and a recent setback, Alzheimer's researchers are plowing ahead with hundreds of experiments, costing potentially billions of dollars, which many billions have already been spent. 99% failure rate and more setbacks to come, Dr. Batar, and they're still plowing and beating their head against the brick wall, probably still loaded with mercury and aluminum. So I'll tell you, my success rate so far with Alzheimer's, and both patients, by the way, we've only had two, 100%. Neither one of them came with me, came to us for Alzheimer's. They came for other reasons, but their adult-onset dementia and Alzheimer's diagnosis were made independently of us, and both of them had lost their power of uh, attorney. In other words, they, they had power of attorney. Family members had power of attorney over them. They had lost their ability to drive. They had lost their ability to basically maintain their own uh, personal accounts, checking accounts, savings accounts, etc. And one in six months and one in seven months after treatment were able to regain their power of attorney by going to court, were able to show mental competence, were able to regain their driver's licenses, and were able to maintain their own personal checking and savings accounts. Less than a year so our experience, it's limited. Yes, it's two. To be statistically mm -hmm. significant, you have to have an N of 32. I understand that. But our experience so far is 100%. Now, we've had many people that have reported improvement in memory, this, that, and the other. But we only have case, two cases in the last 22 years of patients with independent third-party diagnoses of either Alzheimer's or adult-onset dementia that has been fully reversed after side effects of our treatment as we detoxify them. <laughs> Right, the side benefits, we'd like to say, and that's the, that's the difference between advanced medicine and uh, mediocre allopathic medicine, as it's been practiced for a lot of years now. Uh, side effects, and every side effect is technically a direct effect. It's one that you don't like, so you kind of put it off to the side and say, that's over on the side. Don't pay no attention to that. Uh, but do those side effects weigh or outweigh whatever benefit of suppression you get? 
along the way to further Alzheimer's diagnoses or worsening conditions related to dementia. We'll talk about that and more in uh, this hour, which is known as Advanced Medicine particularly on Mondays when we do it here on the Robert Scott Bell Show with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Again, links are up in the show notes if you're not sure, or robertscottbell.com, Medical Rewind. Of course, we have the SoundCloud as well, and you can get plugged in and be empowered by this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty. So we'll talk more about reversing Alzheimer's and other things. There's some more uh, vaccine autism links. Also, a dermatologist diagnosing cancer when it isn't there for profit. Say it isn't so, that wouldn't happen. Not in America, not with doctors, would it? We'll talk about it next. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Scott Bell Show. All right, for our new listeners around the world here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine each week with Dr. Rashid Bittar. He was just relating as we covered a story about billions spent and setbacks galore on uh, investigations into how do we reverse Alzheimer's and, and, and dementia. And you say 100% success, well, in the two clients that had it, official diagnoses, if you will. And people are scratching their heads probably if they're new going, well, how is that possible? If all the doctors in the world spending billions of dollars on research, government-sponsored, and everything can't figure it out, what could Dr. Batar do? How does he? What is he doing, right? Now, recognize that I want everybody that's a new listener, if you haven't read the book, the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, that will at least clue you in so you'll catch up where we are. But for the new listeners, if you can go over a few of those elements that would make sense to them as to why, why you would see this reversal in these in these two patients? Well, we could summarize the entire philosophy of our clinic and everything into one word, and that one word would be detoxification. So one of the things that we've been saying on this show and that Robert's been saying for decades now is the power to heal is yours. That is probably the most understated comment that anybody has more than likely made in their lifetime because that, I mean, it sounds like a great saying, the power to heal is yours, but in actuality, your body is a healing mechanism. That, that is really what it is. The body is set to constantly heal itself. The problem is we get in the way. We as humans get in the way. We get in the way with the things that we do to our bodies, with the things that we put in our bodies, the things that we inhale uh, into our systems. We create the problem. And so if you can just detoxify the body of all these different things and those seven toxicities that we've listed in the book that we've talked about in the facts and toxicity videos, if you can eliminate those toxicities effectively, that's the key word, effectively detoxify the body of those toxicities, chronic disease by definition cannot exist. Cancer, heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, whatever it is, by definition it cannot exist. So that's what we've done over the last 20-plus years. We've documented thousands of cases of autism, actually almost 2,700 cases of autism. We've documented hundreds. I don't think we've hit 1,000 yet in cancer, but probably six, 700 in cancer before and after videos. And the essence of what we're doing is basically detoxifying the body. So um, you could kind of elaborate a little bit beyond that. The five steps are systemic detoxification, Second step is physiological optimization. Third step, then when we get into cancer, we're looking at the immune system, optimizing the immune system and, and um, uh, target acquisitions methods and then maintenance methods. But basically, if you can 
detoxify the body and optimize the system, then chronic disease can't can't exist. Yeah, and these are basic principles that elude the uh, boneheads uh, because of the training that they had. Even though they have high medical degrees, they're not thinking outside the box, as our buddy Ty Bollinger says, to where they can go back to these basics. It's not like you don't know that the liver is an important organ of elimination. It's not like you don't know you have to have an intact digestive system so that you can assimilate nutrients, for instance. But these are concepts that the pharmaceutical industry is not going to profit off of in the same way. And we've got to recognize, going back to Flexner Report, the entire medical system on planet Earth, as it's been allopathically dominated, is based on a profit model, patent molecule, synthetic chemistry, and not on environmental concerns, epigenetics, detoxification, as you say. And so it is a distinct, you know, night and day difference. And it is that proverbial breath of fresh air when you hear it. It's like, whoa, something resonates in you, down to your cells, and you go, that just, that feels right. For the first time, something's making sense here. Because a lot of it is a random act of whatever they say it is. Here's a drug. Let's try this. Oh, that didn't work. Try this one. Try five, ten more. And at this point, 99% of all research into Alzheimer's dementia, abject failures with more setbacks to come. But they don't want to step back and say, hey, why don't we look at detoxifying the body? Why don't we remove the toxic poisons? Because their very substances that they profit off of are, by definition, toxic poisons. See, this is an important point, too, Robert, that you just brought up when you said that the medical degrees. Now, there are doctors out there, uh, myself, and there are many others that actually do understand the difference and have recognized the difference, whether it's through the old adage, desperation is the mother of all innovation, and they had a, a family member that was sick or themselves were sick and they were pushed into that envelope, or right. if they reached it from a intellectual stimulation level, where, however they got to that point, there are many doctors that do understand this concept. And I think that, you know, the comment that you brought up, which is very important to understand, is that many of these people, that the aspect that they're experiencing themselves, the doctors themselves, when you look at them, they're not happy. They're miserable. And I think that comes down to that resonance that you were talking about. Right. Hear the music, so I know we got a commercial. Yeah, well, that's the joy, the resonant uh, energy, the frequency of healing, of love, vitamin L, Valentine's Day tomorrow for those of you in, on this time zone in America. But... Uh, yeah, all of that we're trying to bring to you, and we're, ha- as always, been trying to help the doctors as well in their journey to healing and to help others heal. We'll be right back. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio, it's the Robert Scott Bell Show. I just mentioned uh, the concept of resonant frequencies, right? You, you know, you're drawn to, like music. I was drawn to Al Jarreau, really loved his music. Uh, you, you know, you're drawn to things that are aligned with you. And there are a lot of doctors, and Dr. Bittari, you said this, there are a lot of doctors that are just miserable people. And that's not you, like, bashing on doctors. That's just stating a fact. And, you know, I come back to the story of my, my dear, beloved uncle, who, who has passed from this plane many years ago, of cancer, the treatment from cancer, who warned me not to become a medical doctor because of what he saw in the medical system, the allopathic model. He was miserable in it. I mean, he, he profited well, he made a good living, but eventually, you know, the last few months of his life he spent painting and doing artistic stuff. He smiled and was happier than I ever saw him as a doctor. And so is there another way that you could be a doctor and not be miserable? What kind of resident frequencies can you bring into 
your practice. And I think that's, you know, as you've gone around the world, we've gone around the world talking and lecturing and teaching and, and learning from these docs that are the happiest docs. They're the ones that are actually empowering patients instead of disempowering and poisoning them. I think that the energy of an individual recognizes what you're doing. Your soul energy, your essence recognizes, are you creating or are you destroying? And I think that the commonality in doctors that you can see that are really happy, the ones that are proud of who they are or they can look in themselves in the mirror that sleep well, is that they know that they're empowering their patients. And a lot of these other doctors that may be, quote, doing, their, doing a good job in the standard of medicine, and I'm saying that sarcastically because I'm putting that in quotes, you can't see that on the radio, but that practicing medicine per the standard of care, many of those doctors are miserable. You can actually see this. And this is something, Robert, you said it's not just what we're saying. Do you know how many times, like in a plane or at a conference, somebody will come up to me and make this comment, people that have friends that are doctors, family members that are doctors, and say, well, I don't understand. Why are you so happy and everybody else? You know, you've had all these run-ins with the board and, and <laughs> problems with this and that, regular, and you seem so happy. And it's like, well, if you're, if you're making a difference and you're, making, you, you know, you're doing something of value, you know you're doing something of value, it doesn't matter how many people attack you. You know you're doing something right, and you feel good about it. And then vice versa, you could be doing everything right within the, the standard, but deep down in your core, you know that what you're doing is wrong. How can you be happy? You're going to be miserable. And that's where that energetic comes in that you were talking about resonating, where the, mm-hmm. where the information resonates with your soul. People have a very, very good bullsh- bull. Yes, you held that back very well, Dr. Bizarre. Yes, BS detector. No, this is so very important. And, and you know, here's a, here's a case in point. In Florida, of all places, Florida, sometimes we say, in Port St. Lucie, that's north of uh, uh, West Palm Beach by, uh, I don't know, about 50 miles or more. And uh, there's a story of, an, of a doctor, a dermatologist, who is wrongly diagnosing patients with cancer for profit. And, and, you know, when I told you that off the air, you're like, you tell me something else that's new, right? Like, because we've covered stories like this. This is not an anomaly. This guy has an appropriate last name. It's Dr. Gary Martyr. It's one letter off of being Dr. Gary Murder, M-A-R-D-E-R mm. instead of M-U-R-D-E-R. And he, he's... He was basically telling all of these people with skin conditions that they had cancer, and he was running them through, with Medicare payments paying for it, radiation treatments on the skin of patients, multiple. I mean, one person said, yeah, I had 20 hours of two-hour sessions of radiation. Medicare was paying for it, so what did I know? But I didn't know I didn't have cancer. And, and this guy was profiting to the tune of millions. But you cannot be a happy person and do that. You have to be miserable to tell somebody they have cancer when they don't and then give them radiation, which will actually cause cancer. Which is basically a, uh, a slow, painful death. Hmm. You're, you're basically murdering these people. And, of course, I think the only reason the government gets involved with these cases is because it's Medicare fraud. But let's look at the cost in human lives that this that creates. I know it was interesting that uh, earlier today... I was talking to a patient, and they it's a, it's a potentially a new patient, and so they did not have a pathology report done because they didn't want to have the biopsy. They didn't want to have they, – they, the other doctors wanted to do the pathology, do the biopsy, but they wanted to do a mammogram, and the patient refused to do a mammogram. So she doesn't have a pathology of the cancer. She hasn't had a biopsy done to confirm it. She did have an oncoblot that did show that she had uh, cancer. So she asked me about that. She said, well, in your – Material says that you won't diagnose, you will not treat a patient unless there is a pathology report. So what happens with me? I said, well, you have an oncoblot that does show that it's oncogenic process. You have cancer, and you know we have a piece of paper that you will have to sign that says that you have not gone through the regular role 
of having the diagnosis made because we are not in the business of diagnosing cancer. I will treat people with immune-compromised status, but I do not make a diagnosis of cancer. If somebody wants us to screen them for cancer, we have our own method of doing so, but if we see that there's evidence where the immune system is damaged, I will send them out somewhere else to get the diagnosis. Why? Because I want it verified from the conventional standpoint. And the biggest reason that I want to do this, by the way, uh, just to make sure it's clear, mm-hmm. many times people would come to us with cancer, we would treat them, and then they would be cancer-free. They would go back to the doctors and say, I don't have any more cancer. They would check them, and then the doctors would say, well, we don't really know if you really had cancer or not. So right. now, by having a pathology report, somebody has to admit that they were an idiot somewhere along the line. You have a paper but, trail. yeah. Exactly, it's a paper trail. But but even if they don't have a paper trail, if they if they have an oncoblot that's positive, we will still treat them. But I don't want to make the diagnosis of cancer for this very reason, because there are so many people that are doing scam that are scamming the system. And if the government wants to come after us, they could say, "Oh well, you're treating patients that don't have cancer." Well, hey, I didn't make the diagnosis of cancer. I'm just treating it. As it is, treating cancer is the big thing that they're coming up after us. But they will try to create this other illusion that you're treating patients that don't have cancer because our patients get better. So if yes. they see the record of showing the patients get better, they will come and say, hey, you made a diagnosis of cancer, and this patient doesn't have cancer, even though that we made the cancer disappear. So what we want to do is stay out of that box. We will treat them when somebody else makes a diagnosis, but we will not make the diagnosis. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. And, folks, if you're a doctor out there listening anywhere around the world and you would like to participate in what we describe, and Dr. Batar has said, is advanced medicine, you know, if that would make your heart happy, if you resonate energetically and say, you know what, I would love to have a practice that is actually helping folks, empowering them, and having these kind of results, you actually have an opportunity to participate in this because this movement is glowing, glowing and growing around the world. And you can send an email, if you're a doctor, to info at drbatar.com of your interest. And, you know, say, I'm a doctor, I'm very interested, and someone will get back to you. Info at drbuttar.com info at drbatar.com. So do you actually get doctors that will write in and say, hey, Dr. Batar, I'd really love to work with you in some way or do what you're doing where I am? Oh, yeah, we've had, we've had hundreds of those type of emails over the years, but now this is like a bugle playing and it's a call to action. That's one reason, Robert, I appreciate you doing this. And, in fact, I think you said it better than anybody could have said it. You said if it makes your heart sing, mm-hmm. that is the key. If, that, if you know that practicing medicine where people get better, would make your heart sing, that it just makes you feel good just even hearing that possibility, then please send an email to that info at drbutar.com, and we will get back with you. So I appreciate you putting that out there, Robert. Beautiful. Oh, and by the way, this Dr. Martyr Murder, right, this guy I'm talking about, do you know that even though he's had numerous previous disciplinary actions against him, and now, of course, the government has fined him like millions of dollars, and they're claiming some of his property because of all the fraud he did with Medicare, he still has an active medical license. Amazing the medical boards won't go after somebody like that, huh? Yeah, and we've, we've covered it. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution did a major report a couple of years back about sexual abuse of patients and how many of those doctors, even though they've been caught red-handed in the act, they still have their medical licenses. This is why I say licensure is not a guarantee of, of adequacy, much less functionality, much less even safety. If you're board certified independently, you you can determine that you have a level of education to do certain things, but a license does not guarantee that a doctor is any good, nor even safe or protective for you and your health. That's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And sometimes people tend to think of all these things. 
being synonymous, they're not. One does not guarantee the other. Yeah, board certification is quite different from having a license, right? A license is a permission slip to do that which would otherwise be illegal, according to the government, within a particular monopoly, right? It's an economic interest that protects its turf. That's why you hear about the practice of medicine without a license being used against somebody who's eking in on the turf of the allopathic medical doctors, for instance. But again, when you see these kind of behaviors happening in this dermatologist who's caught dead to rights on this unconscionable behavior, much less illegal, and he still has an active medical license to practice. So what does that tell you about licenses? Yeah, as long as you're playing the game by the rules that they set, they're not going to do anything, regardless of whether you're committing a crime or not. And this mm-hmm. is the, the outrage about it. Whereas other situations where doctors are doing the right thing, they're, you know, nobody's coming against them because there's no problem, but the medical board is coming against them because they are defying the hierarchy and you know, basically they're heretics. And so that's why they go, they're, they're heretics against the religion right. of medicine. Exactly. Well, listen, There's so if we talk about heresy in medicine, the, the question vaccine safety and efficacy, that's heresy still around the world. We mentioned in Australia, but the CDC, part of that pharmaceutical church, a uh, lot of hidden evidence. There's an article we have linked up in the show notes about that. Also, brain patterns for autism. This is interesting. we got a, about a couple of minutes before our next break here, but there's a, a, a recognition of something that you've uh, said as well. Autism more common in people whose brains are anatomically more male-like. Of course, this gets into endocrine issues, testosterone issues, and I think you've mentioned this before about the proclivity for males over females to express autism. Yeah, actually, the incidence of autism is seen, and this is reported worldwide, four times more cases in males than females. They believe that the estrogen, even though estrogen isn't necessarily a good thing, estrogen is protective. The testosterone exacerbates the expression of the um, the, the damage from the mercury. So they found uh, certain types of antibiotics in conjunction with the testosterone will have a four times higher incidence of autism than you would with females. So there is a, a male preponderance for whatever reason, and we believe it's testosterone that's causing it because the testosterone reacts with the thimerosal and has a four times greater propensity of causing damage or four times it causes more damage four times. The incidence is four times greater. So it's testosterone versus uh, estrogen. The female hormone seems to be protective, at least in this particular circumstance. Well, and of course, the, the endocrine system impacts brain development. If there's more testosterone in a male body, the brain's going to develop a little differently than a female brain. So it makes sense. But again, this does not preclude the, the, the acknowledged recognition of the primary culprit. Heavy metals, in particular mercury, uh, not that we say no, the other metals aren't problematic as well, but mercury, number one on the hit list. That's exactly right. So thimerosal itself, we know, is about 500 to 1,000 times more toxic than, than, um, than mercury, than inorganic mercury, which is it's an uh, organic form of mercury, and then with the presence of testosterone, becomes four times more destructive. All right. Well, we opened the show talking about uh, Alzheimer's and dementia, and then we just talked about autism. Could the, the psychiatric drugs of the mind, whether it be Ritalin in childhood or drugs given in elder years, could that also exacerbate, make worse these dementia, Alzheimer scenarios. We'll be back after this. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back. Taking on bureaucracy.
bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, we just got a question today, and I'm going to bump the uh, drug stuff, because sometimes it's so obvious. Yes, if you drug kids at Ritalin, methylphenidate, like PMP, like PCB in kids, what do you think you're doing to your brain? And you old people out there that are borderline or full into dementia, you're getting yourself psychiatrically drugged. What do you think you're doing to your brain? Right? You may not be thinking at all because you're so wiped out. You haven't seen Dr. Batar. But you got to get the lead out. you got to get the aluminum out. you got to get the mercury out. you got to replenish the, the, the things that aren't in. Having said that now, another mother warrior writes to uh, me, you, and, uh, well, Super D and Dr. Batar. So, um, and she's got a kid who's uh, autistic, going through different uh, Dan doctors, MAPS doctors, and ATEC score now 21, claimed mildly autistic. A lot of speech stuff they're still wanting to work on. Asking about chelation, uh, low-dose oral chelation. Um, gosh darn it. I, I, there's so much in this, and I'm, I'm just hard-pressed. I'm reading it as we're on the air here, Dr. Batar. How best can we move forward with something like this? Well, basically, there's a bunch of things you just said. They've tried basically everything except for chelation. They want to try uh, somebody's protocol that's not a physician. Uh, I, I know I've heard the name before, but he's not a, a physician. He's a, he's a Ph.D., um, using DMSA, which we've talked about DMSA, we can reference people back to that particular audio. But the bottom line is this. No matter what you've done, if you haven't taken the fuel away from the fire, no matter what you do, that fire will continue to burn. And then they mentioned that they've done hyperbaric oxygen therapy. The mechanism of damage of heavy metals is oxidative stress. If you have oxidation, which is presence of oxygen, the rusting process, and you put more oxygen into the picture, you will increase the damage to the brain by, by 500%. So basically, ambient oxygen that you breathe, normal air you're breathing is 21% oxygen. Now you put a person in 100% oxygen, you've just increased it five-fold concentration. So you've increased that oxidative damage, that rusting process, that burning of the fire, five times faster, five times harder, five times stronger. So if the child has... Uh, Autism, by definition, they have metals. You should not do hyperbarics until you've already pulled the metals out. We do hyperbarics. We have steel chambers in our office, but we don't treat a single child with autism until after a year and a half after they've been chelated. So any benefits you experience for the child with autism, with hyperbarics, will be transient at best, and then at the back end, two, three, four months down the road, you're going to see not only going back to the same baseline, but you will be worse off. Mm -hmm. So stop the chelation. I'm sorry, excuse me, stop the hyperbarics. Start removing the metals. Find a doctor that knows what they're doing and how to remove metals. End of story. Yeah, and that is the fu- the fundamental question that sh- that she's asking. You know, chelation therapy is the only thing they haven't done, and of course they ask the question. You can briefly go through this. Are there any dangers of giving IV chelation to a child, and how long do we expect it can last? I mean, these are common questions, but as best you okay, can, so, answer it in a couple of minutes. Well, I'll, I'll try. So, how long would it last? Anywhere from one day to ten years. You know, how, how do you know what the level of toxicity in a child is? So that's the question is an absurd question because you, right. nobody knows. Until you know what type of metals, what speciation of the metals, how they were exposed, when they were exposed, the duration of exposure, there's no way of knowing that. And anybody that tells you anything different, they, they're being less than integrous, okay? That's the first yeah. one. Second question, um, safety issues. You know, is IV chelation safe or is, is there any danger? Taking over-the-counter aspirin will kill you. So it's not the tool but the idiot using the tool that you have to look at. So a mm-hmm. weapon, a gun, is considered bad because it kills people. A car is considered good because it's a motor transportation. But you put a drunk behind that car, 
you're going to kill somebody. And you take that gun and you put it in somebody's hands who's trying to defend their family, it becomes a tool. So it has nothing to do with the tool. It's who, how it's being used. So the safety issue has nothing to do with IV chelation. It has everything to do with the doctor that's using it and their level of experience. So if, if well, I'm going to assume she's in the States, Jackie, she didn't say where she's from. Uh, but if she's in the States, how does she find an advanced medicine doctor to reach out to? Of course, your office is set up outside of the Charlotte, North Carolina area. If you can make it there, go to drbatar.com. But there are other docs that, that have been trained properly. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the basically we've got two centers now. In Ojai, California, we have one. Dr. Robin Burnoff is a liver pancreatic uh, surgeon that has been his own child had autism. He's, he's been in environmental medicine now for the last 10 years. He's actually, well, more than that. He came through my training program 10 years ago. So we're covering both sides of the nation right now. There are other doctors that have been trained in certain components, but they don't do everything. And, you know, they do parts and parcels. So, again, you just need to find a doctor that you feel comfortable with that understands this process. If a doctor talks about using DMSA instead of DMPF, that is not a doctor you want to use. If a doctor talks about just using EDTA, okay, they may have some level of understanding, but it's not going to be sufficient for what a child needs a doctor. Okay, and Jackie, go back and listen to the archives of the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicines. Uh, you can go to medicalrewind.com. That'll target right to the Dr. Batar episodes, or you can come to our SoundCloud and search it out at robertscottbell.com. I appreciate the question. I'm glad we caught it just in the nick of time, or we'd have to wait another week. Dr. Batar, thank you, my friend. Tell them what they need to know real quick. The power to heal is yours. Yes, it is. The Robert Scott Bell Show.